Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. When you're 18 years old, you do not have the luxury of time experience. Space and time allow you to see seasons. Seasons allow you to realize that things end and they begin again, rebirth and renewal. No one cared, at least from my outlook again at that time and that age, no one cared that I was having to smile on red carpets while I'm cutting my arms up at home in the bathtub and wanting to kill myself and just barely not killing myself up until a point when I did attempt. And mm-hmm. and that that made me feel so much more invisible because now I was being told, you did it. You're a success. Oh my God, you made it. And and it was like, oh, oh wow, this actually never I'm never gonna be okay. Like yeah. I got the thing that was supposed to make it okay. And it's so not okay. And I'm even more invisible now being seen by everyone. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm pretty intense. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Today on the show is Annalyn McCord. I have been a fan of Annalyn since uh, she was in the movie Fired Up. (laughs) I mean, I love that movie. It's a cheerleading movie. You may have also seen her in uh, 90210. And she's currently in a show called Power Book 3, Raising Canaan. She also has a new podcast called Unzipped. I mean, I really connect with her on the healing and spiritual side of things. She's been on a real journey um, for for quite a while. I mean, really since she was, I'd say 25. Um, so about a decade of healing these childhood traumas that she had. And, and so there's a lot of talk about, about what that process has been like for her. And then of course, where she's at now in relationship to where she was. And Um, she has disassociative personality disorder is what it's called. And it's really a matter of sort of splitting or fractioning off parts of your personality to cope with traumas. And so, um, she's just a total open book when it comes to the experiences, sexual trauma. I, I just honor people that have the strength and courage and confidence to, and, and also the love in their heart to want to share that that those parts of them to help other people. And she's just really a light. And uh, we we just really connected. And we're totally going to be BFFs. We've already begun to be BFFs, but we're definitely going to be because um, we're on this hippie journey together for sure. Uh, but it was a very, very honest, vulnerable conversation about her relationship with herself and the trauma and the light that comes when you start to look at that and and heal it. 
I, uh, I had a Zen den back in the day when I lived in North Carolina. Uh, there was this little pocket outside of the house, but still connected and it was covered. So I just filled, I had like a big custom made cushion and I put probably 25 pillows on it. And yes. it was just this cute little Zen den. I had a little Buddha out front and um, yes. it was so sweet. I, I think Zen dens are so important and just like spaces that feel curated and feel special and, and invoke something. Um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago and there's a whole chapter dedicated to your woman cave. Yes. Your woman cave. I love that. Yeah. But you know, the good thing is, is that if you don't live with anyone, you can make the whole damn house, your woman cave. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, so I have a, had quite a crazy life, a lot of trauma, a lot of stuff that led to me getting into kind of some crazy stuff sexually. And I had a dungeon up into my, in my house, like built a bed, like this whole crazy thing. Yeah. And I finally, like, it's been a room that I really don't go in. And I, yesterday, so I'm stoked to like be talking with you. I'm on a, on a whole high right now because yesterday we found an artist because I, we're, I have people redoing my closets and all this stuff. And we were talking about the getting this thing out of my house. It's, I have this monstrosity custom made bed that I designed without knowing my trauma, like literally didn't have the memories and all of the stuff that I got into on in my life. And I'm, you know, I'm not here to judge, but I, everything that I was into sexually related back to stuff that I ultimately remembered in my trauma memories. And I talk really candidly, candidly about this because it's like, I'm just don't, I just, this topic needs to be spoken about and it needs to be a conversation. We can have it at a dinner, a dinner table and then move on and have dessert and be fine. You know, I love that. I love that. Keep going. I think this is, you know, for those, mo those brave and vulnerable and transparent enough to, and strong enough to say it should. Yeah. It's not everyone's place. Not everyone has the ability to say it, but if you do, and then the people that you help are, are, are ones that would never otherwise get it, you know? A hundred percent. But also if one of us is speaking, it's all of us. I am the voice of anyone who doesn't feel like they want to speak. I'm your voice. I'm, I'm your voice and you can feel through me that we are speaking up together because we're the same. I mean, it, it's, that's, that's how I see it anyway. But with this, this whole, this freaking dungeon bed is like, was just absorbing energy in my house. And you can see like, I want to zend in. So I'm literally turning it into a meditation room, but my organizer was so amazing. I kept feeling like just really not cool about I just wanted to get rid of it. I didn't want someone to buy it because I didn't want it to be used for this purpose anymore. And she said, there's an artist who wants to repurpose it. And I literally, Danica, I literally burst into tears. I was just like, I was so overwhelmed with relief, but also it was like the universe just saying, no, we hear you. We're not going to let this be something that could possibly be become more of a, you know, harmful thing cool. in any way, shape or form. Yeah. A tool in that regard. Um, and, and 
it's going to be repurposed. It's going to be used in, in an artistic exhibit. And I'm just like so happy. It's going to be out of my house. I already have the design for the meditation room. So it'll be a debt. This is obviously my meditation living room. There's my meditation bedroom. There'll be my meditation meditation room. You know, every, Aww. as you said, in my whole house, it, it'll be that. But, but that will be a dedicated room that the energy will, will go from what it has been to just being the space that I know I'll want to hang out in all the time. So I'm really yeah. excited. To go there again and use the room for a different purpose and having to go through that that alchemical process of turning it from one thing into another. And you've talked about that for yourself. And I just think that, you, you know, you said that to change the narrative around trauma that you have to say, like, how did, how did we get here? How did I get here? So maybe this is the perfect time to just start off by like, how did you get here? And then we can work in through details. And I'm really, I'm, you'll find that I'm very inquisitive and I ask a lot of questions, but you know, how, how did you, how did you get here? Meaning what was the impetus to this transition that you've gone through where you were able to recognize what happened and then, and then really just recognize what happened? What was that part? Yeah, that section. So my life is kind of lived out in segments there. There was the, um, zero to 15 years old segment where I live with my family, parents homeschooled, went from K through 12 in homeschool. So never actually went to a typical school. Um, Graduated when I was 15. Two months later, I moved uh, or two months after I turned 15, I, I graduated and moved out of the house, became fully independent. And then you have like my 15 to 18 year period where I'm studying acting and I'm in New York and I'm determined that I'm going to be an actress. And everybody told me it was never going to happen because, you know, trailer park kids don't make it in Hollywood. And I was like, um, has anyone ever heard of Hillary Swank? Uh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, I was a little bit of a, <laughs> was is a strong word. I was a little bit of an arrogant child. <laughs> I was like, y'all are all wrong. I'm going to prove it. And, um, so then there was that period of just like, just, just really treading through the muck of it all to make stuff happen in kind of a forcing kind of way. Um, toxic hustling, I think is what they call it now. Ooh, but, good one. Right. Um, I heard that term recently and I was like, yeah, we, we, God, we're sold this American lie, not an American dream. It's, it's like you, you, but literally you go into the, your life being told that if you go after your dreams, meaning if you do a career that we approve of will mean that you are quote unquote successful, you're going to be happy and we'll be happy we at a party society, with society or we meaning your family. I think all of the above, right? I mean, it depends. This is obviously, this is definitely society and culture. A lot of people's families, there are the few who are like, be whatever you want, free little bird. <laughs> I love those Where people. I haven't they? met them, <laughs> but I, I figure they're out there. Um, but we as society, we as a culture, we as parents, teachers, community, peer, you know, all of the above, literally drink the Kool-Aid and then pour that Kool-Aid into a little tiny sippy cup for a child to drink. And from the time where, you know, we can start to talk, we're, we're being asked, what do we want to do when we grow up? And then we're asked, what do we do when we're at an event? And it's just, so I wanted to make sure that what I did was something that I was proud of and, Mm -hmm. um, and that I thought would make me important and make me more importantly, 
be seen because I felt invisible. I felt unseen and invisible in the world because when you're a traumatized kid, you feel like nobody sees you. You feel like you don't exist. And your parents were really young and they had three kids really fast, right? So, you know, there wasn't, I mean, I'm sure that as we know, well, well known, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a million different times, but you know, the trauma gets passed on from generation to generation. So something happened, I'm sure in your parents' childhood and their upbringing that showed them a certain path. And then they did the same thing. And so it's about breaking that ancestral cycle. And so, um, but you know, your parents were, how old were you? How old were they when they, they got married quick or they had kids quick? It it all went really fast, right? It all went very fast. (laughs) Um, my father was 19. My mother was 21 when they got married. They eloped 30, 33 days after hi, nice to meet you, meeting each other. <laughs> yeah. Are they narcissists? Um, <laughs> um, one would only imagine. Um, the, the, the whole like, teach your kids not to have sex before marriage makes horny kids. <laughs> That's oh, all it does. Shit. Sorry. <laughs> not sorry. Um, but so, you know, my parents wanted to get laid. Um, that's my take on it. Um, nine months later, my older sister was born. Two years and two months later, I was born. Fifteen months later, my little sister was born. So within a high nice to meet you to four years later, three kids and some mid-20s, <laughs> you know, adults, if you want to call them adults in their mid-20s, because I certainly know that I am barely an adult in my mid-30s. <laughs> I'm with you. I remember like a hundred years ago, I got married and I was like, oh my God, like I was 23 and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm not even close to the same person. I mean, the 20s are, right, the first 18 years of your life, you're you're expanding into an adult. You're literally, your bones are growing, your, your, your heights, everything's growing. (laughs) Then you are legally termed an adult by government (laughs) agencies, right? You're 18. So now you're technically recognized as an adult. Your brain, the, the, the neuroscience community wouldn't recognize you as you, as an adult because the brain doesn't even finish structurally, structurally developing until 25. So, so the government's all like, you an adult at 18 and the neuroscience community is like, well, I don't know about that. And then of course our plasticity, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Just, I mean, that's all the time. Neuroplasticity is all the time. No, you go nerd out on me. I, I was thinking to myself, I'm, I'm uh, slipping this in, but when you were, you were out in Arizona and I was like, oh, let's get together because I had heard you talking about, I think it was about your podcast saying like that your role is like, I love all the shamans and the woo woo and the spiritual. I was like, oh my God, let's have a woo woo off. Let's see who's more, yes. let's woo woo it together. Oh my um, God. I'm so booking no, my flight back to Arizona. Where's yeah. <laughs> and I love, I love, um, quantum physics and I love, um, anything that has to do with the mind and reality. So neuroplasticity, all of that and the power of it, you just keep wording it up. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll admit I was a little, I was two minutes late logging on here because I had lost track of time listening to Joe Dispenza on his uh, live pot. He does this live expo with Gaia, the oh. streaming network. Oh, that's cool. I just finally yeah. signed up for Gaia. Joe's great. I've interviewed him too. He's, oh. he's really Oh my great. God. You've interviewed him? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've interviewed him. I've done a couple. I've did his week long retreat. I did a one day in Santa Barbara last fall with him. Um, and like 18 people. 
Okay, where do you live? I'm just going to come move in with you. Yeah, yeah you should. I'm alone. <laughs> I just want to hang out in your energy field. <laughs> it's the whole Zen area. Trust me. Trust me. Okay. Okay. We're, okay. We'll, we're already best friends, but let's We're having a, what is, I don't know what they call a girl crush. We're having girl crush yes. moments right now. Um, but yeah, so, so that I'm a nerd. I love Joe Dispenza. I love quantum physics. All of these things started to come to me in my healing journey, but that started at age 25 for me. And at this point I had this crazy life moment. So the segments of my life continuing, there was the New York point at 18, I moved to Los Angeles as a technical adult. <laughs> um, and I, you know, at this point, and I had lived a lot of life because of all the things I've been through. But when you're 18 years old, you do not have the luxury of time experience, experience moving through space and time, as Joe Dispenza would say. Yeah. Space and time allow you to see seasons. Seasons allow you to realize that things end and they begin again, rebirth and renewal. For every winter, there's a spring, right? Mm. And this, this aspect of ourselves that we get to experience when we have life experience is the cyclic aspect of life. Mm. And unfortunately, trauma kids we don't get a childhood. So we are made to either act like adults. We feel like we have to be adults. We're panicked. So we're acting like adults out of just sheer reaction to our circumstances, survival mechanisms kicking in. We feel older than we are. And yet we haven't seen the cyclic experiences of life where things live, die and repeat. Right. Yeah. yeah so, and the patterns. The patterns. Yeah. So so that whole experience for me was I'd taken this, you know, the Kool-Aid that was put in my sippy cup and I drank all that shit. And then I like started filling up my own bottles with it. And I really, really thought that whole arrival theory fallacy, I really thought in this unthought known where it wasn't something I consciously thought of, but I had the sense because of everything that was ingrained in me from society, culture, and all of the above, that once I became an actress, you couldn't fucking not see me anymore, right? <laughs> Once I dot, dot, dot. And that's that hit me like a ton of bricks because still no one fucking cared. <laughs> no one cared, at least from my outlook again at that time and that age, no one cared that I was having to smile on red carpets while I'm cutting my arms up at home in the bathtub and wanting to kill myself and just barely not mm -hmm. killing myself up until a point when I did attempt. And, mm -hmm. and that, that made me feel so much more invisible because now I was being told you did it. You're a success. Oh my God, you made it. And, and it was like, oh, oh wow. This actually never, I'm never going to be okay. Like yeah. I got the thing that was supposed to make it okay. And it's so not okay. And I'm even more invisible now being seen by everyone yeah. than I was when I was this kid who just thought maybe, you know, like somebody in the community could, could have seen me and helped. Well, that's just a perfect example of how no one can fix you. No thing can fix you. No destination, no job, no, no thing can fix you, but you. And so from to mirror, like to show you, people did see you. I saw you. I mean, shit girl, I love fired up. Okay. <laughs> I, I heard, I, I heard you talking about that. You were the mean girl cheerleader, but it was actually the other way around, which is very interesting. But anyway, 
I mean, I saw you, many people saw you, so it was happening. But if you don't feel it for yourself, if you can't give it to yourself and so much of that work has to do with the inner child and seeing the inner child, that's what I've found in my own work and my own sort of like big epiphanies and healing like mom trauma, dad trauma. Is that it wasn't until I started seeing myself and taking care of my inner child and taking care of that original wound spot, right? Mm-hmm. About like going back in time to that little girl and what happened that made her the way she was or him the way he was. And it's like taking care of that kid. It's not some something, it's not a destination. Yeah. It's, such an, it's an inside job and it's, you know, it's an it, inside job. It's exactly all an inside job. So how, how the hell did you get to the inside? Like, what was it that helped you realize that, um, no, no destination was going to get you there. No job, no, no TV show, no movie, nothing. Well, that leads me to actually answer your original question, which was what was the impetus of all of this, you yeah. know, this coming to, uh, this awareness of even just yesterday, this moment with, selling the bed and and not selling it and being able to give it to someone who's going to repurpose it. Um, I got to repurpose my life. Mm-hmm. And in the process of realizing actually fired up was a catalyst for me to repurpose my life for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was being offered 90210 while I was on fired up. Nip Tuck was the show that I was technically still filming, but we were in a writer's strike and everything had frozen in time, obviously, because we'd run out of scripts and we couldn't, the writers couldn't write anymore. So I had some off time and was able to do fired up. And in that, but in that writer's strike, a film on human trafficking that I was obsessed with, I was so adamant that I was going to do this film. I was so excited. Mm -hmm. I met with the directors multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, They were in the middle of rewrites and it got shelved and the money pulled out and the film didn't happen. And I was just heartbroken and I was on fired up and it was supposed to be such a fun setting, you know, and it was literally just, I didn't go to high school as I mentioned, but it was high school shit going on. And I just really didn't understand how I literally went to shake the, the other lead actress's hand and she like was holding her little sidekick and looks up at me like, ew, you're the other cheerleader. I'm like, um, no, bitch, I'm an actress playing a cheerleader. And also, hi, I'm Annalyn. Shake my fucking hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just this like I do the same strange. thing. Yeah, I was like, you're going to shake like, my hand. Don't look away. I'll I'm like, I'm, I'll, I'm, nope, <laughs> not going to let you. Um, <laughs> it was so weird. And then I got over to my group. Uh, we were training for a couple of weeks of these, you know, we had cheer practice for two weeks before we started filming. You know, I did all for anyone that doesn't stuff. know. Fired Up is a cheerleading movie. It's the best. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. It's seriously one of my top top five favorite movies. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you feel that way. It actually, it did turn out so funny. The guys on there. The guys oh, my God. Are Eric and Nick, they're so hysterical. They, the dialogue like, is so good. It's, really like, like, it's like the best funny dialogue movie. And this was like Will Gluck, so the director, writer-director. He it was like his first thing, like uh-huh. big big deal thing. And he, um, he was, he was awesome, but he, you know, went on to do special and all those other things. But, um, but this one, he's, he's just, he's got that dry wit, you know? And, um, but yeah, the experience was just like mm. really, really vapid, very, and, and uh, what do you expect? Right. You put a bunch of 20 somethings together in a makeup hair trailer and they are, you know, being, they're on a big Sony film and it's the start of their life. And again, as the neuroscience community would say, 
they haven't fully developed their brains yet. We can't be upset with them. Um, and, and I've actually had conversations with some of the actors since who are like, I'm really sorry that that was kind of weird back then. I'm like, no worries. <laughs> we were, we were literally kids, That's but good. because of the experience in the moment, losing that film or, or, you know, it not happening, the one about human trafficking and yeah. this, this, this movie that I just was like surrounded by all this, like, you know, egotistical, vapid energy. I just was like, what if I decided to do with my life? Talk about your inner child. I reached out to my nine-year-old inner child and was like, you were really off the mark, lady. Like, why did you want to be an actress? This was a stupid idea. And she's like- You should have been an archaeologist like you thought. Yes. I wanted to be an archaeologist before that. You should have been an archaeologist, damn it. Um, My nine-year-old self was like, you'll catch up stupid girl my nine-year-old self was way wiser than me um but so our inner child's always super wise very simple very clear but usually very wise extremely wise i defer to her at all at all times at all costs like it's just like where are you please help (laughs) but so does your inner child have a name have you given your inner child a name little anna I call little her Anna. little little Anna because um, I'm Anna Lynn, and so she's little Anna. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so that this particular period put me in the. I'm fast forwarding a lot, but all of it culminated to the point where I was in a place where I realized I have my what I've had my what since I was nine years old. What I wanted to do in the world, yeah. I wanted to be an actress. This is what I wanted to do. Why? Why did I want to do this? I didn't know. I didn't know that I felt invisible. I didn't know that I needed to be seen. My little inner child and I, like I said, we were more at odds at the time. She was kind of like, I don't trust you. And I was kind of like, <laughs> I'm smarter than you. Um, So it was just, you know, two inner children. One was in an adult, one was acting from an adult body. The other was just like, bad girl. Um, So that point happened. Then I, my very good friend who's my first acting partner in New York, Jessica Menhaus, who's the founder and CEO of I'll Go First, which is an incredible platform for trauma survivors and individuals who have gone through really horrific things to come and tell their story and go first. Because she and I realized in the work that we do, taking shame out of the room was a big part of what we had to do. And, and it required us to go first because shame just, it's, it's an illusion, right? It, it literally, it's like, it's like a dark room. You turn on the light. One person turn, turns on the switch and everybody can see. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. one person turns on that light and shame just evaporates like the darkness in, in a room with a light on. And yeah. so she created that, but she, she had been working fighting human trafficking for years. She was the first one to educate me on this issue. We end up going to Cambodia. I think I'm going to go save children. They save my life. So now I have this why, but then I was projecting all of my problems that I still don't know I have onto these beautiful, wonderful little girls who were way wiser. Again, children um, were way wiser than I could ever imagine being. And they're loving me and compassionate. And I don't know why I'm being loved. I wanted love, but now I don't know how to take it. I'm like, I'm so confused. So I go through that for several years. You're learning it. You haven't ever done it before. So you were learning it. Things that you would normally do as a kid you're doing it as an, as an adult. So you're, uh, you're aware of the fact that it's not smooth. You don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Yes. It's not easy. It's not natural. It's, it's jagged. Copy. And- <laughs> Words come out wrong. Shit. That didn't go right. This is what I mean. Cause you're learning. Cause you're learning. And 
part of my learning I had to make amends for because my coping mechanisms were <laughs> very interesting, but I know that I needed were them. Were they? Uh, one was I was a self-righteous little bitch. Um, so I started doing this work. First off, I'm doing this, this, you know, I'm going all after this career for myself, for me, me, me. And mm. then I get there. It wasn't enough. So then I, I start educating myself on doing something for the world. But now I'm like, other people should be using their platforms for the world. Like, bitch, you started this like three minutes ago. Like, calm down. Um, so I had, I had a moment of that. Um, and it was born out of me feeling like a fraud, dealing with imposter syndrome, trying mm. to cope with that, but being an incredibly defensive little human. Mm. Um, and, and other aspects of, of myself were that I could be extremely rigid. I had standards of perfection that were impossible for me to reach, let alone anybody else in my world. And I would extend that, you know, anybody who was close to me was an extension of me. Oh Which yeah. Just, so no, no boundaries, you know? Well, oh, I hear you. You know, have you ever heard of Teal Swan? Yes. I love Teal and I learned this from her. It's just simple, but what we judge in others is what we deny in ourselves. Mm, so, yes, you know, speech. judgment for all of those things that people weren't doing that weren't good enough or weren't perfect, like, cause you do it to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was a lot of that. Again, still haven't had enough time for cyclic seasons of life mm -hmm. to make themselves present in my awareness. And when I was 25, I had this moment happen with someone that I really, really loved. And it was just, it smacked me in the face. And I, it was the first time I ever realized that I was the common denominator in a lot of my problems. <laughs> Nothing like a little heartbreak to get you there, you know? Get I right in you. there. <laughs> I hear you, girl. Lord almighty. I was like, every, here was the thing, though. It was, I had done some fucked up shit. Like, I've been a cheater. I've been a liar. I was a pathological liar in order to cope. I had so many survival skills, man. I'm like, now I feel like I would, I'm a total, like, I'm so rusty on all my skills. Cause like before I had to be so vigilant and I was the, I could lie at the drop of a hat. Like, I don't even, I literally freeze if I have to make up something. I'm like, Oh, sorry. I was going to lie to you, but I can't. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, here. I was going to respond to you, but I just decided not to because I actually enjoyed sitting in silence. Um, so I know that sounds like you're not important, but it's just that I'm a little bit more important to myself right now. <laughs> and people are like, I don't know what to do with this level of honesty. Like, I honestly don't know what to tell you, except that I, all I know how to do is be honest now. Um, but I was a pathological it's so much liar. More, it's so much more effective. It's so much easier. You don't have to remember anything when you're honest. You don't have to remember anything if you're honest. That's what my, my mom would always say. My grandmother said, if you tell the truth, you won't have to remember what you said. And like, I never really resonated at the time, but I'm like, thanks mom. Now I get it. But mm -hmm. so, so for me, this moment was really, really massive. It was, it was the moment that I turned inward. And as you said at the beginning of our conversation, we go out there looking for the answers everywhere in the external world. And the mm -hmm. journey is inside the journey and the journey is infinite once you turn inward. And yeah. I, I was struck by something that everyone was saying. They kept saying that um, they kept saying you did nothing wrong in the situation. Like, I'm so sorry this happened. You did nothing wrong. You did not deserve this. And like, normally that's what you want your friends to say. Right. But I'm like, that's not how my friendships vibe. I'm like, listen, we need to call each other out on all of our issues at all costs at all times. And they're like, um, I just need support right now. I'm like, no, 
here's what you aren't seeing. <laughs> My friends are like, oh, God, Annalyn. I hear you. It's just, you can't, you know, we're all wired different and we all have, you know, we all have different kinds of friends. Some match us really well. Some are the opposite. And, you know, it, it takes all kinds of kinds. It takes all kinds of kinds. And it's like, for me, iron sharpens iron is the relationships that I trust. So if you're coming at me yeah. and you're saying, hey, I love you, but fucking, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> that is you, you could easily just be a yes man and this relationship would just keep floating on, but you care enough to risk me that you would stand up and tell me the truth. That means mm-hmm you're doubling down on this relationship. That means you're doubling down on me. And that means the world to me. That's how I see it. So it's a little, it's a little reverse mechanics, but it's, it's, it's how, you know, in, in again, trauma kids, trust is a, (laughs) is a luxury we are not afforded. So I had to really find that. And, and that was as a result of the inward journey. So the inward journey started when I was 25, when everyone was saying that I, I didn't do anything wrong. I was like, this can't be, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, I've cheated on partners. I've done this. I've done that. It's just this was the one that mattered. This mm-hmm. was the one that mattered the most to me. And I was in it to win it. And I got blindsided and I got to feel what it felt like to be on the other side of this. And mm-hmm. that is exactly the type of friendships that I asked for. Call me out. The universe was like, I'm calling you out. And I got called out and it was painful. It was excruciating. I didn't have all these experiences to be able to know that cycles, you know, return. Yeah. And so the journey inward, I started, I just consumed books like Four Agreements, Power of Now, everything written by Eckhart Tolle, everything written by Don Miguel Ruiz, everything written by Joe Dispenza. Oh, yeah. Like I just went... <laughs> Looking at my bookshelf over there going, oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm sure I'll start listening to all the titles. Um, But just consuming this information. And then I was in a regurgitation of the information phase, which was, you know, super annoying for people. It's like little Miss Insufferable know-it-all is here to let everyone know the isoteric wisdom that we're all lacking. Um, still, on so, the, still, still a little on the self-righteous path then. Absolutely on the self-righteous path. Holier than thou is book. Um, but my friends are very long-suffering. Very, very grateful for all of you guys. <laughs> all three of you. Um, <laughs> small number. Quality versus quantity. But um, Yeah, for sure. But then at at a point when I thought I had finally started to make sense of my life, I had gotten to a place where I, I was putting up boundaries. I was implementing them. I had realized I'd overextended myself years out and I made a vow to myself that this one particular commitment would be the final one and it was the furthest out. And as I completed all of my commitments, because I'm the type of person who would like show up dragging my dead ass self, jet lagged, tired, sick, whatever. I made a commitment, so I'm going to stick with it. And it was like, everyone was like, it's so wonderful how you stick to your commitments. I'm like, isn't it? And then I want to collapse, you know? Your inner um, child's going, we're dying dude we're dying my inner child's like i hate you um so so june of 2018 i finished that final commitment outside of myself Mm. two months later two months almost to the day following that event i was in treatment for ptsd and i had latent memories of childhood sexual abuse return and it was earth shattering. I had lived for 31 years with one story and in a 90 minute, I say this all the time in a 90 minute session, my entire life story changed. 
And I was just- Was it a therapy session? 90 minute session? You mean therapy uh, session? Session of EMDR. So my doctor, yeah, yeah, she, she's a specialist in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for post-traumatic stress disorder. Specifically, she works with women and girls who are victims or survivors of domestic and sexual abuse. And, and had you been working with someone for a long time, like since you were 25 and now you're 31, had you, did you start working with a therapist then? And so it was sort of like a buildup and how long had you been doing EMDR? So I actually never went to see a therapist. I saw a therapist like twice. I was extremely resistant, probably because Before. my brain prior Before to 2018, prior to 2018, I had no interest in therapy and I believe it was my brain. I believe that my brain knew if I was in a treatment oh. session where someone could see me and actually see me, they would figure it out. And I wasn't ready to know. And I think that that's something that, and just before I answer your question about EMDR, and I will go into that, yeah. I really want to stress the point that your body, your brain, your cells are geared to protect you at all costs. Yeah. They are so kind. Oh, they yeah. are so kind. This the is, ego. This, the, 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 just the, just the actual biological makeup of the human is, Mm. is designed to protect. Mm. It doesn't know that the coping mechanism it used to protect you might be the very thing that's now harming you. But even still, we have to honor that biological process. Mm. My body and my brain knew that if I went into treatment before I was ready, I would not have the bandwidth. I worked 90 hours a week. I got on red eyes every weekend. I did. I, I'm a million miler. I just hit million miler status earlier this year because I run from my problems. I would get on a plane to anywhere or nowhere. It didn't matter if something was going on. I wanted to get the fuck out of Dodge. That was it. That was the whole just running, running, running. I had to slow down and I had to create safety for myself. And in order to do that, I needed 31 years worth of life to learn the cycles of life to get to a place where it was going to be okay enough for me to then go into eye movement desensitization reprocessing to go into EMDR and to answer your question the I had two intake sessions Danica this was my first EMDR session I had been in therapy all of five appointments in my whole life oh my god it so was brimming. It was right it was brimming. It was ready to go. <laughs> we we did two intake sessions. I did a Kundalini breathwork workshop on the Sunday following my Thursday appointment. And the memory that we were actually going to tackle was an entirely different memory that and this is something I stress a lot. Breathwork is something I use every single day and I see you nodding your head. So you you mm-hmm. know the power of pranayama, holotropic breathwork. I went into a two and a half hour workshop for Kundalini breath work. It's not like crazy Kundalini. Everybody like gets all weirded out if they don't know what it is. Um, it was just powerful movement of energy oh, yeah. with the breath mm-hmm. and processed this memory. And I got into my next session, which was going to be the first treatment session where we use these little buzzers and they alternate hand to hand. So it's bilateral temporal lobe activation, allowing the CEO brain to have control of the mind and to really revisit things that weren't safe. These, these um, explicit memories 
excuse me, explicit memories are the ones we log. Implicit memories are the PTSD memories that I describe as memories that float around an empty space like a feather. And then someone turns on a vacuum when a trigger point happens and it just gets oh, yeah. sucked up and you don't know where you are and what's happening. And it's so immediate, right? So, so I had this, this workshop I did two and a half hours of breath work. I really went through this memory just came because it was so there. We had just spent the last session talking about it, my doctor and I. So I go into the session the following Thursday with my doctor to actually begin the buzzer process where we are going to drop in and look at these memories. And I told my doctor, I said, I don't, I don't feel that icky, gross feeling around that memory that we were going to look at. And she said, well, you know, she, I explained to her the workshop and she said, you processed. She said, the process of EMDR, the whole point is to connect the body and the mind. I was completely numb from the neck down. I, I would go around like laughing, like, oh, I have a high tolerance for pain. And I literally, I say, you don't win awards for having a high tolerance to pain. Pain is a thing we have to have, or we, I put my hand over my candle, right? And I don't feel heat. I burn my hand, right? Pain It'll is happen. a beautiful gift. Exactly. Yeah. My doctor said that my skin sensitivity was so low. She'd never seen anything like this in her practice before. Oh my, my, it was so low. I literally kept telling her to turn up the intensities of the buzzers that I had in my hands for the process to go. She's like, I can't turn it up any higher. I couldn't feel Danica. My skin, like my, my ability to feel was so numb. I was so cut off from body from head to body. Go, is this why cutting happens and why, yes. you know, physical abuse happens? Cause you're just doing anything to feel anything. Anything to feel anything. So, you know, the BDSM, I didn't like normal sex would never, I wouldn't even know it was happening. I was so desensitized mm. and, and I would cut to feel because I felt so numb. It, this, my poor little inner child was, was in a house that was terrifying for 31 years because I left the abusive situations and started abusing, abusing my own house that mm. she lived in. And she was terrified. She was mm. terrified. And the EMDR mm. process would introduce me to her. And she didn't want anything to do with me because really? I was, she would, I would mm. see her in my mind and she would run into blackness and disappear. And oh I, I would God. tell my doctor like, oh my God, what do I do? Like, she won't stay with me. She's like, you have yeah. to build trust. Yeah. She doesn't trust yeah. you. You've made it very unsafe for her. And I was like, yeah. I'll do anything. That's you so know? true. I, I agree. I mean, like I, you know, for me, when I met my inner child, like at first she was, I describe it like she was in a dome, like at the top of a tower and it was like a concrete dome yeah. and there was like a little window, but she was voiceless. Like she had no voice. She didn't say anything. And then like, as I process more, it's like she came down to the bottom and then she's kind of standing at the doorway and she still didn't talk, but at least she was kind of like a little taller, seemed like she stood up and, you know, you know, kind of curious about going out, but she wasn't sure if it was safe. And like, now we hang out and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? You know, <laughs> totally. anything I should work on? And she literally just goes play, play, play. <laughs> yes. I never played. I like didn't play. And so I totally get it. Like the inner child does not, it, it's, you have to teach it by teaching yourself. Yes. Yes, you do. And one of the, one of the hallmarks of breath work deep mindfulness meditation and EMDR 
which I'm so grateful to have been able to use all of those modalities. But if you can't, for whatever reason, find an EMDR specialist or you can't afford it or insurance doesn't cover it, breathwork is free. And it, mm-hmm. it, my doctor said you didn't need the EMDR for that memory because the breathwork was enough. It was sufficient. Mm-hmm. That's my doctor saying that we wow. moved on to the next memory because she determined that I had already done what we were going to do in the room. So oh that's the power of breathwork. And, and we, we do put a lot of faith in our doctors, but every once in a while we get an amazing doctor, like my doctor, Dr. Charlene Ruan. And she, she, by all means necessary healing. She doesn't care. She doesn't have an ego about it. She just wanted me to heal. And she knew that this was going to be something that I should do alongside of EMDR. And I continued and to this day, I still do breath work. I don't do EMDR anymore, but yeah. I still do breath work. Have you ever done any, have you ever tried any other modalities that include like, as an example, I have a body worker, um, here that I use, she's amazing and super spiritual, super, super into it. Like she's lived in Peru and done deities and she's like very all there. Um, and you're definitely going to hang out. I just want you to know yeah. I am like, Good. it's official. <laughs> I can't <Good>. wait. <laughs> We're, I, 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 I actually really believe that will happen, um, sooner than later. But, um, and so I remember I had seen her for a couple of years and she does amazing body work. She actually uses her feet to walk on you. And to the massage. So she does massage, but it's body work and there's, you know, emotional and um, energetic things happening. And it was last year and it was kind of just, just before sort of my, is just at the sort of beginning of my big trauma that happened last year. And uh, she's like, you know, I can, you know, I can kind of feel you're in a different place. And she's like, you know, if anything comes through, she's like, just keep going. I keep going, just kind of keep going, breathe through it, whatever comes through, just, 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 just allow it. And so as she's doing some work and she's on my back and she's on this spot and she's like, eventually it's like the spot that won't go away. And she goes, if this spot had a sound, what would it be? And so like the first one I gave it like a little, like, it's so weird, right? I mean, all of it can be weird and uncomfortable. Up but- until this week, I would say, yes, that's weird. But I've literally been a part of a virtual sound healing summit. And I'm learning so much about the power of sound and us yeah. make using our voice to make those sounds for release. So yeah. I'm right here with you. Yeah. So she said, give it a sound. And I was kind of like, ah, you know, like gave it a sound. It wasn't a real one. And then a couple like 10 seconds went by and all of a sudden, like I made this sound that all of a sudden just came out and it was like much louder and bigger. And then I just started bawling. Wow. And so you're so right that like the, the sound and the audible, like the somatic element of things, whether it's breathing or some sort of verbal, you know, I mean, have you ever heard of Taryn Toomey? She has the thing called a uh, workout called the class. Um, no. she, it's, she has an app and she also has a studio in New York, but okay. part of it includes a lot of verbal. Like, so it's like, you'll oh, cool. play a song and then in the song, you do the same movement over and over again. And in it, she, there's encouragement to make noise. So you're like, ah, ah, you know, you like oh, really amazing. get it out. And what's crazy is that by the end of, even in the middle, but definitely by the end of it, when it goes into like the heart opening, which is this, just literally you move your arms back and forth all of a sudden and verbal prompts help like questions and things like that. But I mean, like most of the time that I do it, it's like all there are tears for something, you know, you're processing something. So, uh, that's so cool that, um, you know, you've found techniques and, and honestly so young. 
Well, I mean, you said it to you said it about your your little. I said your daughter, your your inner child. I think of my inner child as my daughter now. But you, being That's being great. silent, being silent for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Of of course we need sound. Of course we need to find my. I gotta. You know when they do those energy readings, like the auric mm-hmm. field and your, oh, yeah. your energy centers. My throat center, my throat chakra was black. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, wow. It's a great response. I was more like, oh, wow. What the (laughs) hell? I was like, and I've been doing this work for a year. I'm like, wait, I've been working on myself for a long time. What do you mean my throat's still? What? I literally, I I literally was blown away by how many things parts of my life, I started to realize because when that stuff like that happens, I asked myself, where am I being silenced? Where am I not speaking my truth? What I realized was I wasn't being silenced anymore. I was speaking my truth very loudly. I did not know I was allowed to speak my needs. Speaking my needs was Mm -hmm. a thing that I did not do, especially with men. I did not voice my needs. And because of that, my throat was so blocked and sound has been so profoundly healing. And to your point, we're right on this parallel wavelength, but I was in this wild, amazing breathwork that was facilitated by Ekar Wood, who is a part owner of Modern Nirvana, which actually they're having an amazing thing in Austin, Texas this weekend, a convention with Deepak Chopra and all those guys. Mm. It's all, all of these modalities, but he's a breathwork facilitator. He did a two and a half hour session with me. And I swear to God, I saw the black bubble thing in my throat. Love come it. out of me. I literally, I felt he, he even got a trash can. I was like, I'm so sorry. Ugh. Like I was like yeah. retching. It was so intense. Sorry guys, if you're like really being grossed out listening to this, but it was so powerful and so beautiful because here's what's so crazy. He turned on a song and I knew the song after like of two hours of the session and that had happened and I was coming down from it and I started singing. I could, I could sing. Like I, I don't sing. I sing in the shower. I sing in my car, my convertible top down with the wind blowing. He was like, you're such a beautiful singer. You know, do you do that with your work and everything? And I was like, no, 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 Ikar. I, I, I don't, I've never, I don't sing. I don't know what that was. That was crazy. But my something released in my throat and I like I now when I do sound modalities and stuff, I can move all the way up and down the scales and I would always get these like little blocks. So all of it, everything, the body keeps the score is actually a book by Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, I bought that book just the few weeks ago to to read read it yet, but I, I got it. Amazing, amazing, amazing book, life-changing for me and for anyone who might have felt like it was your fault that you froze during a sexual assault or any kind Mm of, um, any kind of abuses. I, I remember when I was sexually assaulted, when I was a teenager out here in LA, my whole body just froze and my system shut down and I was reading the body keeps the score. Mm. I'll never forget. I burst into tears because it started talking about how the system does a system override and sends you into freeze. We always hear about fight or flight. We don't hear about freeze and faint. Freeze and faint. Oh, fawn or faint? Yeah. You like, you can lose consciousness, right? So you can Mm -hmm. like, you can, you can technically faint. Um, but it's a, it's a psycho, um, you know, not a psychosomatic, but, um, it's a psychologically induced fainting. Um, but so my body learned to freeze. I breath work was really hard for me because I never breathed. I didn't, my, my lungs were actually incapable of full capacity 
because my ribs were concave due to years of holding my breath during my trauma. These are all things I learned by body work. And I'm so grateful again to my doctor for not saying that Western medicine is the only answer. She wanted to work with all modalities because she wanted oh, yeah. me to heal. Did you ever, well, speaking of Western medicine versus Eastern, were you ever taking anything or there any, were you on any kind of antidepressants or anything ever? Yeah, I was diagnosed bipolar. So my my family has bipolar. I recently had my brain scanned by Dr. Daniel Amen, who believes that we shouldn't just sit someone in a 30-minute session with a psychiatrist and then start trying out pills on them like they're a lab rat. We He said, why do we have you come in for a heart EKG if you have a heart issue? Why yeah. do we have you come in to see, you know, an ultrasound when you have a stomach issue? And then we just like, you know, the brain, it's not oh, that well. important of an organ. We don't really need that one so much as we need the other ones. We won't look at that and we'll just throw chemicals your way and good luck. I hope it works out for you. He's like, I don't understand this. You need to see what you're diagnosing before you diagnose it. So he scans brains for mm. mental health patients, and he has an incredible book called The End of Mental Illness, which is a little controversial, the title, but it's pretty brilliant where he goes yeah. with all of it. That's amazing. But, and then, you know, for people listening, because I think there are a lot of people taking something, and I don't want anyone to feel like a loser or like you're doing it wrong. I think, you know, I, I work with this lady. Her name's Elisa Romeo. She wrote a book called Meet Your Soul which is mm. how I met my soul and gave it a name. She's Lucy. Hi, uh, Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she she talked about these kinds of medications in a way that made a lot of sense to me um, because I guess I would come from the other side of like, don't take it, like deal with your shit, you know, suck it up or, you know, all those kinds of things, probably things that I shouldn't be saying to myself anymore. But 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 I was like, hmm, let's listen to this. And she she said, that sometimes you're so depressed or you're so sad and you're so in it, so much anxiety that you literally can't choose a good thought. So for those holes that you're in where you just can't get out and you can't choose a good thought, you have to, it's good to take something so you can start to choose a good different thought. So you can start to reprogram. It's almost like a neuroplasticity phase where you're like, all, like re oh, it's a hundred percent patterning yourself in a different way, and the idea is to get off of them. But in the beginning, if you can't get out of the hole and choose a good thought, that they can be really helpful to repatterning and to getting on the right track. Absolutely, I know some people, so many people. No, but I experienced both sides because I was put on Lamictal. I was put on a mood stabilizer after being mm -hmm. diagnosed with bipolar because I was in a depression that I could not get out of, and yeah. for that exact purpose. And because you're all into the brain, when we do something repetitively, the brain learns it. The brain learns exactly. depression. The brain learns anxiety. Yeah. It repeats it because it's experiencing it over time. Yes. So to unlearn it, we do need assistance. And if modalities like breathwork and, and meditation and all of these things aren't make, aren't cutting it or you're not at that place where you're interested in it yet, whatever mm. the case may be, be, because of the symptoms that I had that were in alignment with bipolar, they were trauma induced because they've been healed once I got through my trauma. So mm. I couldn't really have bipolar if I no longer have bipolar symptoms. Bipolar mm. is seen as a chemical imbalance, which means it is incurable, unlike a personality disorder or something that is 
alterable. It is so to be diagnosed as bipolar and then to no longer show symptoms of bipolar with no yeah. medication consistently for two and a half years, which is where I'm at now. There's there was a little something going on with my psychiatrist diagnosis yeah. of me, right? Well, it's so, stunning. You know, you were a child and, you know, probably, I mean, the, the, the brain is the final frontier. We don't get it. That's why there's yes. a million. I interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson and he's like, whenever there's someone writing a lot of books about something, it's because they don't get it. They don't know. And so there's <laughs> a lot of books about consciousness in the mind and how everything works. But, um, but, you know, so it's imaginable that, you know, as we continue to discover that, you know, there's, you know, disassociative personality disorder, which is what you then were, which you, which is what more actually what you had versus bipolar, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, so, so you split as a kid because you had to be, you couldn't be yourself. So you had to go be this other person and you had to, you just had to reemerge them, reemerge them. I had to, exactly. I had to integrate. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's so, you know, I think the, I think the most important thing for anyone who might be experiencing this right now or, or be uncertain that you're experiencing it because I didn't know I was splitting. I, I, I had the sense that I had bipolar because I ticked all the boxes. I had hypersexuality hyper spending or hyper frugality, I would go, I would swing between Mm. impulsively spending to impulsively Mm. to being really, really like, I'm not going to park in a meter and drive around the block 10 (laughs) times to find a, like, like, I literally, I can afford a $2 meter. I don't know why I'm tripping. Mm. Um, I had like in, you know, um, insomnia, um, grandiosity. Um, I don't know if the grandiosity went away completely. Um, (laughs) that one's, that one's still my ego working on that. Um, but I ticked like seven out of nine boxes and was diagnosed with mild hippomania. And what Bessel van der Kolk talks about in that book that you just got, the body keeps the score is how he's fought for at that point over 25 years with the American psychiatrist association, to have them put in the diagnostic statistics manual, the manual that all psychiatrists have to purchase every couple of five years or whatever it is when they update it to put into that book that trauma is something that people have and that it should be looked at when you're treating people and giving them chemicals and putting them in their bodies. So I'm on both sides of it. I'm both grateful for the mood stabilizer that absolutely I'm so grateful I was on it when my memories came back because I did not go into what could have been a really horrific downward spiral Mm. due to the instability of the patterns of my brain at that time. But then I retrained my brain through Mm. all of the healing modalities I began. And by November of 2000 and was it 2019? Yeah. By November of 2019. So my memories came back in August of 2018. By November of 2019, I went off my medication with my doctor. I told, I didn't go back to my psychiatrist because he was already trying to like have me go on something else. The more I told him I was doing well, he was like, sure that it was my grandiosity and was trying to put me on different things. I talked to my doctor who's an actual PhD and has a background in neuroscience and knows the brain very well. So specializing in EMDR, which is specifically a treatment of the brain, right? And she said, let's watch how you do. Mm. And if in, and then we went into 2020, I should have had a lot of episodes going on in 2020. Right. I had, I, I'm exactly who's talking to you right now as who I've been over the last year and a half 
all through this situation. And that was coming off of the medication, finding modalities that help me that are free (laughs) and coinciding them with treatment that thankfully I was able to, you know, have insurance pay for. But now, you know, uh, my maintenance is every day I do that work. And I, I, there's a little thing that I, um, and I know we've, we've talked, I just realized the time I'm like, God, I could talk to you forever. Um, (laughs) my, um, my inner child, when I met her and she was running from me and all the things, and I had to learn to trust her. One of the things that began to build the trust was I went back into all the memories that I had, the memories that weren't fragmented, the ones that I actually mm-hmm. had that were not so wonderful. And I had plenty of not so wonderful memories on that I did remember prior mm-hmm. to August 2018. I went back into those memories in my mind. So I closed my eyes and I imagined myself. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a few more Annalens. I decided to bring an army of Annalens, 32 Annalens geared up. And we stormed into those memories and I got my little self out of those memories. I picked her up, told anyone who was hurting her, you want to fucking come at us? Because we'll rip your face off. And, and I came out with this mama bear protective love energy. And that was how it began. And I started to gain her trust. And then I would do magic tricks because kids love magic. I was, I was like, I don't give a shit. I will do anything to get my child to trust me. I was intent on my inner child trusting me and not running from me anymore in my mind. And I didn't care how I got there. So I created this army inside my mind <laughs> and I would go in and I would imagine the the bad memory. I would walk up the street. I would, I would literally like see myself in my army of Annalyn strutting down the street, turn down the driveway, fling open the door. I'm like, Hey motherfuckers, <laughs> we're about to throw down right now. And I would like, I, and it was amazing because my mind would play with me. And, and I, I had one moment, moment where my little self, I had gotten good at this. So now I was like, Oh, now I know what to do. Just come in, like, you know, beat some, <laughs> beat some face, get my little self out. And we're good. You know? And then I had one memory where I couldn't get little me out. And that's when I realized that my mind was actually playing back with me, but I was not in control of it. And this was a little, this was both enlightening and terrifying. So what I did was exactly what I'd done with all these other memories. And I always was able to pick her up and we leave the memory. And, and then I, in my mind, I felt like that I had taken that moment and healed it because I got her out and I made her safe. I became the woman that my little me needed and I showed up for her. And in time and space in my brain, I was able to make those moments happen and heal those spots. Well, then I had this memory and I go to pick up my little self just like normal And I'm like, okay, out of here. Let's fly, girl. And she drops like lead to the ground. Hmm. And I, and I see the person who's coming to sexually abuse her. And it's not the one who was normally perpetrating onto her. It was someone else. And I'm, I'm seeing him getting closer. And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kick this guy's ass. Like, no, you have, like, we got to get out of here. Like I, I started getting frantic in my own mind at a situation that was just in my own mind, but I, but it felt so real. And I didn't know why I couldn't get her out. And I, all of a sudden I said, I need to trust my mind. Our bodies want to heal themselves, right? I always use the example of you get a cut on your arm. You don't have to be like coagulate blood, scab over new skin grow, you know, the body's like, um, lady, I got this. Mm-hmm. The mind is the same way. Just create a safe, clean environment, a safe, clean space for the wound to heal. Same in the mind. Yeah. When I opened up and said, please help me get her out of here. I was able to find a way to, to utilize the, the people in my spouse. I started bringing in other people. 
other sources. I brought in uh, a child version of one of the perpetrators who I loved, who was someone in the community. Mm. And before he was abused, I, I, my mind went back and got him at eight years old. I don't know. I wouldn't know to think to do this. My mind did this by itself. And it was literally like I was watching a movie now in my own mind. And it's like shit's going down. And I'm like, I'm not in control. But this this little boy version of this person who grows up to be someone that I loved who then when I'm 31, remember that he harmed me. I'm so like... He's now, he opens the door to this shed that, that was in the part of the memory was where I was being held and he runs in and he dives onto the ground and picks up my little self, my cat's making an important, a little appearance. He, he opens the door to the shed. He dives in and runs. He starts crying, dives to the ground and picks up little me. We're about the same age, about the same size at that point. He's like, somebody help her. Somebody please help her. She needs help. She's hurting. I was, I literally came out of the EMDR session with my doctor and I started bawling my eyes out. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I started learning compassion. I started learning all of these tools, all of these Mm -hmm. techniques. We talked about alchemy at the beginning of the conversation. This was how I learned to alchemize my trauma because, because that was the same boy who would grow up and harm me later. But in this memory, he was, he was good. He was so good. And he was helping me. And I got me out. Such a truth indicator, right? Like I got goosebumps when you were saying that, because I could feel like it's an indicator for me of when truth is being spoken or when truth is happening. And that's the truth. And isn't that the truth? Generally, I believe that to be the truth about, I bought everybody really is that it's something that happened. It's, you know, this sort of trigger projection game that we play in friendships, partnerships, especially family dynamics. It's, it's, it's coming from, it's like the trigger is the teacher and the projection is the indicator. Like what, why am I projecting? What is this telling me about myself? Yep. Triggers going, okay, this is the teacher. If I'm being triggered, what is this saying about myself? It's always about, it's, it's never just about you. People take, take things so personally. And I was definitely one of them. Same. <laughs> definitely. And it's not usually about you. Someone's mm-hmm. treatment of you says a lot more about how they feel about themselves than it does about you. Well, and they're often not doing it against you. They're doing it for them. And that's the thing that we don't, yeah. you know, and we, we and we want to be seen for how we're not trying to do something against someone else. We're doing it for ourselves. But mm-hmm. we oftentimes have difficulty. Don Miguel Ruiz, I go back to the first book I ever read, Four Agreements. Yeah. Don't make assumptions. Don't mm-hmm. take things personally. Be impeccable with your word. Always do your best because on a Tuesday, your best might be amazing. And by Thursday, you might be shit out of luck. So mm-hmm. whatever your best is, be kind to yourself. I learned kindness to my inner child. I learned compassion. I learned kindness and compassion. And if we, we looked around at 7.8 billion people in the world, and instead we saw 7.8 billion inner children in the oh world, we would world. be a lot kinder. It would be a lot kinder. It's, it would be a complete, a completely different world. But I, you know, the biggest thing I, there's one last thing I'll say about the inner child thing that, that has been really impactful in the experience. I've been leading inner child workshops. So one of the reasons I was in Mm. Arizona was the wellness center Savannah that, um, I was visiting in carefree Arizona. Yeah. 
the owners. Yeah, it's so close to you. Um, so we're we're gonna do that together for sure. Um, but the the owners of that wellness center had such beautiful intentionality behind creating it, and they they wanted to create a space that was affordable, but also was a place where you could go and have an actual wellness retreat and you could find yourself or find these healing modalities and learn things to take back into your world. And we were talking and, and they've asked me to put together curriculum. So I might be collaborating with them and doing potentially like a, like a, you know, four times a year kind of situation, three day weekend workshop. But one of the workshops we were talking about was one that I do, um, as much as I can with the the groups that I work in. And it's kind of the three days we normally do the, at least the inner child workshop, but the three days is past, present, future. So past is reintroducing yourself or introducing yourself for the first time as an adult to your inner child and, and integrating and reconnecting those dots and beginning that process. Two is present. So dancing with your shadow. We learn to not be angry and upset and hiding those rejected parts of ourselves. But, oh, hey, I see why you're a little twat sometimes. Mm-hmm. Let's dance. Let's have a little dance with that twat self. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and how can I take it from here in, a, in an alchemical way? How can I transmute this energy that you want to give that's really powerful and probably protective and important, but maybe I can execute in a different way? So we learn to dance with our shadow in the present moment. And then future self. We go into the future in our minds and we design that self that we, that we take from that very first day of the dreams of the inner child. Why did I dream to be an actress and an archaeologist and a math tutor, which was also one of my dreams? Mm-hmm. I now am a, like literally like work in all those worlds. I'm a, I'm, I, all of the ancient modalities of ancient Egypt are a big part of my world, which uses the language of math and I'm an actress and literally the things that my little self was interested in have become things that are an intrinsic part of my healing life journey right now and, and will continue to be. So we, we take those important wisdom moments from our child self and apply them to where we are or might not be in our lives. And can we revisit that in looking at the future self? And so it's the whole idea is, is, we make such an emphasis on getting a relationship, a partner, friends, whatever. And we don't build a relationship with the person we spend the most time with. Mm. We don't build a relationship with ourselves. We don't wake up in the morning. If you had a six-year-old little girl hanging out in your house, you would probably say good morning to her. You'd probably ask her how she slept and get her some oatmeal or cereal or something, right? We don't check in with our inner child. I'm the same as you. You said earlier, like I'm now, I'm like, hey, boo, what's up? And I know if she has cotton candy, we're good. Like she's cotton candy for some reason. It's not a healthy diet, but it's what she loves. So, and I know (laughs) that she's happy if she has cotton candy when I see her. If she doesn't have cotton candy, mama bear's got to throw down. So it's like, I'm, glad little Anna's got cotton candy. So those, those have been, and the, the first thing we do with the inner child workshops is I ask everyone to close their eyes and to get a beautiful image of that little self. Just, just really see that little self in the mind's eye and, and bring that child in. And maybe you pick him or her up and you put that child in your lap and you put your hands on their face and you look in their eyes and you say, I am so sorry for Mm. all of your pain. I'm so sorry for all of the times you felt unseen and unheard. Mm. I'm so sorry. You're doing you know what so I did so many good. times. I would literally like hug myself like this and just tell myself, like, tell my inner child, I've got you. Yes. 
And the dialogue was always, I've got you. Like I, and then it's like the inner child's like, I've got you too. I always have like yes. higher self's like, I've got you. I always have inner child is learning. I'm saying I've got you, you know, and it's just, you just got to have them and they'll have you. And 100%. it's a beautiful relationship. It's a beautiful relationship. And one of the things that I immediately did once I realized, oh, I'm maybe I need her to have me more than I've got her. I was like, please be my guide. I have no yeah. attachment to my body. I was learning to feel again through all the numbness. And I said, I don't know when I feel bad. Will mm. you tell me? Will you tell me when something doesn't feel right? Because I don't trust my own self because I've been so cut off between my body and my mind, like my head to my body were just chopped. Like there was, the feeling was so low and I didn't get those gut instinct feelings that people feel. I didn't have those. I oh, didn't. Wow. Has like, that come back? Have you all back? Oh yeah. I'm like, ow, <laughs> like you pinched yeah. me. <laughs> like I feel everything now, but I also feel the intuition and gut, but I would go like my friends would always put me in the front at like one of those like haunted, like, you know, not scary farm or whatever <laughs> things. Yeah. Look, nothing scared me. You could jump out at me. I, my, yeah. my sense, my, my sensitivity to things was so not there. I just, I was like, Oh, I'm supposed to be scared by you, but I'm not like, it was just delayed. It was, it was, it was crazy. Have you realized All of that's too, back that now? Thankfully, like your love and empathy and care for other people went up too as you started doing it for yourself. Cause I was kind of one of those people that stayed a little disassociative to kind of things and just push through. And so I tended to kind of inflict that same idea onto people, like just push through. And now I, I just, sometimes it's right away, but other times something will happen. Somebody will share something and I'll, and I'll start and I'm like, wait, no, thank you for sharing that. That was yes. beautiful. That was really that had to, it might be easy now, but there was a point in time that was very hard. And, you yes. know, there's there, you know, to honor the person as it goes, like that wasn't something that even registered as much with me before I healed those things. And so it was like, I'd say this a lot, but as I break open to more pain, it accesses more pleasure. Yes, which is actually, <laughs> it's actually one of the hermetic principles, right? The, the, the polarity yes, of things. I, I, I gotta sweet. go get it. Did you know that I read the Kabillion? I read the, the, the it's literally, really? I, it was the last book I just finished. The Are seven hermetic principles. Yeah. I, I oh and God. I also went to Egypt earlier this year. I love Egypt. Holy shit. Oh I've always gosh. been so interested in Egypt, but I just read the, the, the seven hermetic principles. And, and that was one of the last few about that. It does actually take the pain to access the pleasure. For some reason, there's that's the way it works. Yes. And then the master initiates learn to balance that pendulum swing. So they, yep. that once, once you felt that pain and then you begin to alter the vibration, you're able to transmute. And that, that is what I loved about the Kabbalion because I, I've literally, I, I was listening to it yesterday. I, I've literally listened to it like five times on audible because it, you, I get something new every single time. It's dense. There's a lot of information it's, and it's, it's a lot. Like that was, that was a lot. Yeah. That, I mean, I fall asleep many times reading it just because it's like, it's like so much to take in. It's a lot to take in. Um, but yeah, that, that for me was realizing that that the pendulum had swung and would swing backwards and and yes to answer your question i absolutely notice my empathy and and understanding for other people for me it changed i had a sense of it because i know boundaries i was like i could feel everybody's feelings but but 
then I would be, I would be a little stilted with certain things that, like you said, I could just push through because I was disassociative or I was numb and I didn't understand why people couldn't just get it together, handle it, you know? Yeah. And, and now, as you said too, I, I honor that in myself so I can honor that in someone else. But also just like, we don't hear you did a good job. You did so good. We, we always hear when we get it wrong. I mean, that's the biggest thing for my inner child was just going in like, you did so good. Yeah. You did so good. You mm. you learned to be a bully. You learned to be mm. abusive to partners, those things. But you did so good because those were the tools you had. Yeah. And I have new tools now that we can introduce and we don't have yeah. to do those things anymore and we can make amends. But you did everything right with what you had. That was all you had to do it with. And you did so good. And, and I bring that into myself a lot and I've been able to extend that now out from me to other people. And a lot of people respond that, wow, I don't remember the last time I heard that I did good. And it's crazy how simple it is. It's Mm -hmm. crazy how simple it is. Just Mm -hmm. something like that, that goes, brings us all the way back. Again, Mm -hmm. our inner children leading the way with their wisdom simplicity and wisdom play eat cotton candy (laughs) and fun we should listen well what a brave journey thank you i I mean again it's like there's going to be people that hear this that are going to go oh you know they're going to hear maybe some things for the first time that they've never heard before but i always say that it's you know never underestimate i'm not ever trying to make anyone think or do something but it's seeds right like there might be something that happens somewhere later on and they'll be like Hmm. And usually the second time you hear it or think about it, it's really a changing moment as opposed to the first. So sometimes this might be some of the first time people heard this stuff. Maybe it's the second time in the moment that they really need to, um, they really realize that they're going to do something about what's going on. But man, life is such an interesting experience. It's like the, it's all feedback about you, right? It's just the craziest thing. I, I've asked many people, like I, I've asked a few really smart people. One of them, you'd probably love Nassim Haramine. Have you heard of him? Yeah. I interviewed him too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, I can't wait to go through your archives. I'm actually (laughs) new to podcast. I I always listen to books. So I was like, I'm learning all the new podcasts and yours is definitely, I'm going to go back all the way to the beginning because I am so just, just the way that you bring so much of your truth and, and your narrative into the dialogue and, and really Mm -hmm. deepen the points. I really appreciate as an interviewee, but I'm sure as a listener, that's Mm -hmm. amazing. So I'm, I'm excited to just veg out on you. (laughs) Um, Forgive me if I start fangirling next time I see you. It'll be the same. It'll be the same. I just need you to do one thing though. When I see you, it's like Panthers out. <laughs> okay. I was going to do it right now, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to do that for you in person. We're going to, we're going to have a whole moment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. And you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm sure that your inner child is, is so glad that you see her now. And that life kept showing you scenarios, obviously, that was about being seen and what you wanted to get from someone else was exactly what you were supposed to give to yourself. And you gave that to yourself and your life is completely different. And I know that people that get on the healing journey, it's not fucking pretty. It's really actually quite emotionally ugly at times. Yeah. it, it, it's it's a it's a ride that you never get off because it's really just like new levels of reality for you of joy and 
and perspective and patience and compassion. And it, it does make you a whole new you, but a better you. I, I think there's always a fear around, it's like Joe's book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. I feel like people hear that a lot. And maybe it's my own mind saying this, but they, you know, you read that and you think, well, I like me. And I don't want to change who I am. And it's like, not about that. You can't change your essence. The reason why you're here today and why you were there 10 years ago and why you made it from trailer park to the big screen is because your essence is that vibrant and that magnetic and that powerful that no matter what shit was going on down below, your essence is always there, your inner child, your higher self, whatever you want to call it. And so the, the transition of like getting, being a whole different person is really about how is about is really more your perception, your perception in life changes. And then you feel like a whole different person, but your essence has always been there since you were a little kid. That's why you had like your big boy pants and you got shit done and why you have an army of 32 and why you're doing what you're doing now and why you're brave enough to say the things that you're saying. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And I'll just add one last thing to that because I think what you, what you said really resonates with something that I found in my life. I would make, I learned to make the exact same decisions with the exact same outcome no longer from fear, but from love. Instead of being afraid for my well-being, I love myself enough to take care of my well-being and make that same decision and, and, and remove myself from a dynamic or whatever it was. But I was doing it from a different place. And so mm. the, the power of perception has mm. been the most profound aspect of my whole existence as it is for all of us. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And this has been so wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, we'll see you. Um, You're going to be here next weekend, right? You're coming to hang out? Yeah, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.